You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. Message that the Lord has given me as we go through every year the one year Bible. This time of year, we pass through the stories. We move out of the, the Israelites. They have now made it through and finally crossed over after the 40 years that they had to wait. Now they finally crossed over with Joshua in command. Joshua is leading them, and we know that they have systematically uh, been working their way into this. And this particular story takes place that we're going to review one of the characters here uh, when they go to Jericho. Now we know the story of Jericho and the city of the walls, seven times marching, yeah, we're not going to study that. We know that that happens, and that's, that's a given. They march seven days. They march around the wall one time. They blow trumpets and make noise. And then on the seventh, they vote instructed them to march seven times on that single day, blow the trumpets again, and sure enough, the walls fell and crumbled, and they burned the city. And they basically were told by God to annihilate every individual in that city, kill everybody, which they did with the exception of one family, from one woman, from one person's faith. And that's our message tonight. We're going to talk about Rahab in the Word of God. She shows up in different places. As, uh, as I says, every year when I read about her, I start thinking a lot about what she represents to us all. And um, it's, it's not always something people talk about a lot, but Rahab, I like some things about her that I want to talk about in the message about her faith in particular. And um, she's a shameful person in the sense of what her life used to be, but God finds a use for her, and that's really the whole uh, the whole concept that we're going to talk about and what she is, what she's done. We all have a past. We all have problems in our past. We all have problems in our families. Rahab represents so many things. Uh, she's branded with the title prostitute. She's called Rahab the prostitute for the rest of her life. And God receives the glory from her life again and again. In fact, she's so important. She is just a relative. She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And we want to see seven things here that we can learn from a prostitute about faith. How many of you uh, believe a prostitute can teach you? Yeah. I know that sounds crazy, right? But no, they, they've been through some experience and some things in life. I've spent time with people that formerly were in, in prostitution and had problems and yet they've learned and grown and God has used them to do great and wonderful things. And I think it's just wonderful that God would choose very particularly this woman of all the people in that city. Uh, I always, why didn't she, why, did, why didn't the spies, and we're going to get into the story in a moment, most of you know the story, it's two spies, they go to spy out the land and Joshua sends them in and they go and they, they get caught. And so they have to kind of hide. When they do so, they hide where the Lord directs them to hide. I believe they're following God. And it's interesting that they would choose, of all places, the house of prostitute. Why didn't they hide somewhere else? You know, at the baker's, or at the lawyer's, or the doctor's office, or at least the veterinarian. Something. You know, they could have, they could have hidden in many different places. But this is where the Lord sent them, because God had a plan for this woman. Uh, because he loved Rahab. And we're going to look into this and see some details. Seven things that we learned. And I'm going to start with number one. All have a sinful past. 
Matthew 1, 5, it says, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So we see here that Rahab was David's great-great-grandmother. So King David is a direct descendant of Rahab the prostitute. And she, in the lineage chosen by God, and, and also David, we know, is, continues on. The tribe of Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah, came from that same lineage. So we look at Jesus. We know that Jesus was born by the seed of the Father, but he was born a human being in this lineage. So this is his parentage. So in the history of the family line of Jesus is a prostitute. And all of us, you know, the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that uh, we are all descendants of Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were given a choice and they sinned. And as a result, the Bible very clearly says that sin has been imputed through the blood to us all. So we should be very careful to never be high-minded about any kind of nobility that we believe we have, that we are. And God does not like snobbery. And He does not like people that see themselves in a respect. He says about those that respect themselves as righteous because of their works, because of their actions. He criticizes that because he knows the truth about us all. And, you know, let God be true and every man a liar. We all have something in the past. Uh, we all have some issues, even if we have a great, and even if you, let's say, go to very noble families and royalty and kings, what they are, entire uh, fanzines, magazines, and periodicals that are released only about the gossip of royal families because there's so many stories to tell. There's always, there's always these skeletons in closets, there's always these issues because we're human beings. And I find it ironic that the king of kings has the same lineage of problematic people in their past. And if you think about all of the people in the Bible, they all have a problematic past. In fact, the Bible says of the people that came to God and come to God, Paul said there's not many wise, not many noble. Uh, there are, of course, some that may be wise and noble, and I have known some very pure and wonderful people that were part of a heritage of God's people. That's possible. But even then, they're still born in sin because that's the way it is. That's the way we all are. And we remember that even after having done all that we've done, God uses us as we are, loves us, and we know that Rahab is our spiritual mother. Uh, I can say to you, well, you know, your, your mother spiritually. How many of you agree that we are born into a new parentage in the sense that we have blood relatives, but we have been engrafted into this other family? So now this family is our family. So we can all say probably that we are related to a prostitute. And that Rahab the prostitute is in our past. And that's, that's honorable because God said it was. Remember, we believe God and it's counted unto us as righteousness. That's the essence of faith as we have it. Our salvation comes from that. And that's exactly true of her. All of us have a sinful past. All of us have issues in our life. But God uses us exactly like we are. Now, of course, we are going to do our best to live a righteous life from this point on. But when we're out there and we're talking to people and relating to people in the world, we need to always remember this. I find sometimes that believers can, can start to live for Christ and live a very pure life and make some good, sound decisions and begin to look at the world with judgmental eyes. But we, need, we should never do that because we're all from the same stock. 
Uh, technically, on Earth today, you know Adam and Eve did what they did, but if you fast forward, you have Noah. When God, the fact that our 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 predecessors were so sinful, God just decided to destroy them all, destroy the Earth with a flood. But he saw Noah. Noah was okay. He seemed like a good guy. And he was perfect in his generations. He was a righteous man. And he found favor with God. So therefore God said, okay, I'm going to spare you and your people. Build a boat. He built a boat. He got in it. But we know also even Noah, the first thing he did was plant seeds for a vineyard and make wine and get drunk. And he's lying on his floor. And you know the issue of his son. So we had Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So really everyone in this room is a descendant of Shem, Ham, or Japheth. And technically, there's, you know, if we look anthropology studies three basic skull types on the earth, because that's all there are, which is Asian, Caucasian, and African basic skulls. In this room, we have at least two of those skulls represented. I don't think we have any Africans here. So we really only have two skull types in the room. And an anthropologist can pick up a skull and tell you exactly which of those categories it falls into from certain shapes and designs and, and of course creationists love that because they see that it is establishing the timeline of the Bible exactly what the Bible says and I truly believe that and so anyway we have this woman Rahab in our parentage in our in our past and I, I think it's wonderful I also like that God never seems to want to get rid of that name she has and she teaches us some very important lessons number two Faith is our way out of sin. Hebrews 11.31. We're going to look at some different passages in James, Hebrews, and the actual narrative of the story because Rahab is mentioned in several places. It says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So although Rahab was a sinful woman, she discovered a way out of the punishment of death because the wages of sin is death then that was inevitably going to come to her. But she found a way out, and her way was faith. And that's exactly what they're saying. By faith, the prostitute, prostitute Rahab was not killed with those who were disobedient. All those that were disobedient, that were part of the foreign nation that was against God, and against Jehovah, and against His people, uh, they died. And they will die, but this woman, Rahab, and her family survived by faith. So faith is the way out of the dilemma or the consequences of sin, the destruction and the death of it. Because we believe. We believe in, in Jesus and it's counted unto us as righteousness. And so she had to believe something about the Israelites and God to be able to welcome these spies. And that's faith. And that faith is what saved her. And that's why it says that by faith she did this. And it's interesting to note that she had this faith before the spies ever got there. She had this faith, and you're going to hear from what she says later. She had to believe something first for God to see her as the one to whom he should send the spies and connect them with her. So in other words, she was already believing. She already had heard things about the Israelites and heard things about Jehovah God. She calls him by name later. And she respected in belief. So her belief was already there. And in the timeline, really, the, and she's going to later talk about the fact that she, she had heard things about the Israelites, and she'd heard these things for her entire life, unless she was older than 40 years. Because the reference of all the people talking about the Israelites was that their God, Jehovah, actually split the Red Sea. Well, that's 40 years before this. 
So everybody knew about the Israelites, but they had a choice to make. It's not unlike the gospel today. And if you picture, she's inside of a city barricaded behind these walls. It was a fortress-type city that was completely walled off. It was impenetrable. That's, the way, that's, that's why God had to cause the Israelites to do this unique form of, of marching that caused the, the wall to crumble so they could gain entrance because they would not have been able to gain entrance if the wall hadn't come down. So they were locked into that wall. And I see a lot of people like that in the world today. They're locked into their culture. They're locked into their nationality. They're locked into their mentality inside of a city, inside of a nation like they were. And on the outside, they've heard about those other people. They've heard stories about Jesus. That's how I was when I was a young man. I lived in my culture. That's how many of you were, living in your culture. Uh, maybe different orientations in your background. Could be Hindu, could be Buddhist, could be Muslim, could be anything. But that is like living in a barricaded city. And when somebody lives in their culture, they are in fact locked into that. And they are protected by a very high wall. But they still hear the stories. If they can hear the stories, if news can reach them then at that moment they have a choice to start thinking about God Almighty. To start thinking, is there truth? I don't know that she went around and told everybody how great the Israelites were because they were an enemy. But obviously she, was, she already had this in her heart. And God saw that and saw fit to reach out to her. If anybody shows any kind of interest or hunger in what lies outside the city walls of their beliefs, God will send a messenger to them. God will send someone to reach them. You can be in Iran. You can be in, in Iraq. You can be in wherever culture. You can be in Yemen. You can be locked into a place that is strictly anti-Christian. And you still, if you have faith to believe, God will make a way for you. And if he has to bring the wall down, he'll bring the wall down. And that's exactly what he's going to do for this one woman named Rahab. So she's teaching us that our faith is powerful and that our faith is a way out of sin because we believe. And more importantly, our faith is a way out of the destruction that sin will bring to us. It will bring us out of this, this prison that we're in. Number three, faith without action is dead. Now we all know this verse that we're about to read and we quote it very often, but I want to look at it in an entire context because I, re I rarely relate it to Rahab, but it is in fact related to her. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that. And sure, you foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. 
You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, even this prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Rahab the prostitute was considered righteous in this case because of what she did. It was counted in our as righteousness just like it was Abraham. The same Abrahamic covenant that is applicable to us was being applied in the context of Rahab. She believed and it was counted unto her as righteousness and without her having done this physical deed, and I often think of faith, faith is very powerful, but faith needs a catalyst or some type of incendiary device or mechanism to make it work. It's more like gunpowder. It's like an explosive. Uh, you can have all the faith in the world, but if you're not doing something to ignite it, and that's the action. We do something. Has, God's always looking for us to take some type of step to do something that will cause that faith to be ignited. And if we fill this room with gunpowder, it's fine. It's not an issue. But anybody that decides to smoke a cigarette and is about to light a match or strike a lighter to, to um, smoke a cigarette, we, we're all going to panic because we know that one little flame can cause all of us to die in this massive explosion. I think we've all seen YouTube videos of firework factories blowing up and just amazing carnage that takes place because somebody decided to smoke a cigarette in the car park at the fireworks factory and, and even then of course there would be signs saying don't do it and it's very dangerous. It's like that with faith. Faith is powerful. That's why you can come into a church as a preacher or a teacher and sometimes you are the one that brings the match. I know that a lot of ministries have been formed by my influence but really not my faith. It's not my faith. It's their faith. They already have the faith. They just needed somebody to come and say a phrase, a word, or something that lit it on fire. And that's really what good preaching does. When you hear a really good preacher or teacher, they are just setting on fire what you already have. Because to every man is given a measure of faith. And you already have enough of it to move mountains, Jesus said. Even if you have the smallest amount, like, like a, a grain of mustard seed. So, you know, it's like a very, a very potent explosive. And just the slightest little catalyst to make it react will cause a massive explosion. And so it is with her also in the, in the book of James. It's talking about Rahab saying that exactly in the same way that Abraham believed that it was kind of right. In the same way that it says even Rahab, even this prostitute. And see, this is the glory God gets out of her. Because it's honestly, like we this morning we did this in Chinese and uh, Anne was telling me that the name in Chinese is actually just really associated with a lot of negativity that for a prostitute. It's just, like we think prostitutes a bad thing. No one says, oh, I love prostitutes. You know, I'm not going to say that, especially not as a man. I can't say I love prostitutes. I love all people. But you don't say that. Why? Because the name is associated with a negative thing. And it is a negative thing. It's a waste of someone's life. To, to give themselves away like that for money. It's it's sad. And, you know, we work a lot in Cambodia, exactly on the opposite of that. We work with a sister there that has a house full of girls that were that before, but now are being transitioned and changed and saved. It's very exciting to be involved in that all we can. Of course, I can't be too involved in that particular trade. But prostitutes, 
uh, are considered one of the lower human species on the earth. And they're criticized and looked down upon. That's why God says, you know what, I'm going to do something wonderful. He said not many wise, he said not many noble, and he went on to say God has chosen the foolish things. God has chosen the weak. And in this case, God purposely chose Rahab, a prostitute, because it's, it flies in the face of all pageantry and falsity. Anytime we think that we're something because of our nobility, we can look at Rahab and decide that she was considered as the, the heir to all that was his kingdom from that point on and part of the lineage of the people. Why? Simply because she believed, not because she was a prostitute, but because of faith. And that's where faith can pull us out of any hole, but we have to put it into action. We have to do something. And uh, perhaps for the same reasons mentioned earlier, I've, I have often not always thought of Rahab in context of this famous verse, faith without works is dead. But James is making it very clear. Look, even Rahab. And we need to remember that and think of it. So, and I, wonder, I always wonder, why didn't God cover up the fact that she was, if, the Bible says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And that uh, as far as the east is from the west, our sins are covered. And it says that his love covers a multitude of sins. And I can go on and quote all these verses, but yet he has branded this poor woman with the title prostitute for her whole life. And 2,000 years later, she's being called a prostitute. Oh, the prostitute, the prostitute, the prostitute. Do you think she was ashamed? By being called a prostitute? No, I think she knew exactly what she had been formerly. She didn't remain a prostitute. She wasn't Israel's most famous prostitute and came into the Israelite camp and opened up shop. She, in fact, married one of the spies. We'll look into that a little bit later. And she was converted into a new form. God took hold of her and changed her. And that's what faith does. Faith causes us to be able find our way, as we said earlier, out of sin, but we have to do something. She had to do something. See, she could have stayed in her house believing the whole time that the Israelites were truly God's people and Jehovah's truly a powerful God. But she was hoping for a way out. And God saw that. And that's why God connects her later with these spies. And so, why wouldn't he cover the fact that she's a prostitute? Perhaps because it glorifies him. Could it be that our weakness could make him stronger through us? That's what it says. And our weakness is strong. Now, if you've had trouble in the past, don't hide it. Just be frank and open about it. Say, look, you know, you can come to me and say about all your accolades and your wonderful achievements, and you can have more degrees than the thermometer, and I'm happy for you. But, uh, you know, I was a prisoner. Or I was this. I, just say what he was. I don't, have, I don't hide the fact that I was a thief and, and, and a drug person and I did what I did because I'm not any longer. I don't steal anything. I am in the last since I got saved more than 30 years ago I've only stolen one thing and I returned it. And you all know the story because it was a napkin from Jamie Oliver's restaurant. But I felt so convicted when I got home that I carefully folded it and hid it and the very next day I went all the way back and snuck it back on the table. I just you know, I figured they could spare that and, and the Holy Spirit when I got home I pulled it out the cool put it down and the Holy Spirit asked me like I'm talking to you. He said, what is that? <laughs> I said, it's a napkin. Whose is that? And I immediately felt this conviction consuming. It came over my whole being. 
So, so I'm not that anymore. You understand? I live by a new covenant. I live under the, under the grace of God. But I also live under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That limits what I do and what I can do. And this is what Rahab was. And this is what faith brought her to. So we learn from Rahab that if she'd not put her belief into this action and did something, she wouldn't have been saved. And salvation comes to her in this story because she believes and then when opportunity arises, she does good things. She does the right thing. And that is really what our righteousness... We are given righteousness, but our faith and manifestation is simply doing the right things in the eyes of God. Obeying His promptings, what He tells us. Number four... Because we know this, God is looking for faith people. When Son of Man returns, will He find faith on the earth? That's what He's looking for. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So why especially Jericho? He's targeting. Why is he suddenly feeling? Of all, there's a lot of places they have to conquer, and they do, subsequently. Spy out the land. Oh, and especially Jericho. Why the urgency? Could it be because God's plan was already in motion for Rahab to be saved? And for Rahab to become part of this future? How many people out there right now, in our lives, in our futures, are waiting for opportunity because God is orchestrated? We're not aware of it. But if you ever feel an especially anything about any place, listen to God's direction. Because it means he's connecting you with something. There's somebody out there. Tomorrow's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, greater apostles than have ever walked the earth, are out there and they're not even saved yet. And if we don't make it to them somehow, by listening to especially Jericho, that emphasis on some area, some project, Something because God's looking for faith people. We're the message. How can they hear without a preacher? So He's going to send us just like He's sending these spies. And these spies are just the type of missionary. Yeah, they're going to spot to bring everyone to their death. That's not really what I do. I don't go into other nations to try to figure out a way to make the nation fall. On the contrary, I, I want uh, in my my heart burns with a desire to go to North Korea. Up to now, it's not seemed like it would ever be possible. But right now, the tide seems to be possibly turning. I'm praying with all my heart that the things change and, and that this man truly opens up, denuclearizes his programs and allows the nations to have peace with him and finds who I would love to be able to go in and be a part of that nation because I know there are many people there waiting inside that Jericho. They're behind those walls uh, they're worshiping a man because at, at risk of penalty of even death if they don't. And they're forced into, by their own culture, they're forced into a place of idolatry and they're living their lives in ignorance. And I, I love hearing testimonials of people who made it out. And it's amazing to hear how long it takes them to be um, not even rehabilitated because they had never been habilitated. They've never known anything but. But it takes them a long time. There are special programs if they make it all the way back to South Korea. And they usually end up there by way of China and around. But even that's hard. And if they get caught, they're actually returned to North Korea where they will most definitely end up being put, in, put to death or put in prison as, as slave labor for the rest of their lives. But the ones that make it out, they go through, they have to go through a long process. The younger the better because they can come out of it quicker. But 
gosh, it's, it's such a Jericho. The walls are so heavy. So I'm always praying, and we'll continue to pray. Pray that all this is going on. That's not just headlines in a newspaper. That's a reality of God preparing a city to be penetrated by God's people so that those people can get saved. And I'm going to be there. My, my son and I were talking about the other day, my eldest son. He said, sign me up. He says, you going to North Korea? I'm going with you. Let's go. I said, okay, let's do it. We'll go as soon as the door opens up. We'll visit and go. And I'd always said that also about Cuba. When now Cuba is open, and there are many people going into Cuba. Many, many, many missionaries have gone in teaching the gospel, and the relationships are opening further and further. So it's very exciting. It's not long before Jesus returns, I believe, and this, this whole process of evangelization of the world has to be um, escalated. So here he's sending out, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. I have to ask the question, why? You know, why are they going to the prostitute's house? Maybe it was less conspicuous. Maybe, if they, maybe their reasoning was, you know, that nobody will think to look for us in the house of a prostitute because, after all, a prostitute's house would have strange men going in and out all the time. But they were already discovered. It says the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So that means in the very day they arrived, they were already discovered. And you think, well, you know, would, would, was that God not doing his job to protect them? No, that's God doing exactly what he wanted to do so that they would be forced into the hands of Rahab and put in that environment and connected to these people, one of which later marries her. So it's interesting to know that one of these spies, in fact, now I don't know what's going on in this particular visit, I don't know if there's any relating taking place. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I don't think that they went there for the professional services of the prostitute. But you know what? If they did, I'm, I'm not going to say anything against this. The Word of God. Whatever happened, it happened. But they were legitimized as a couple later and became part of the lineage of Christ. So it says, so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. Liar. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Now, but she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax as she had laid out on the roof. Because you know, they did that on their roofs. They'd lay out their wheat and their barley and whatever um, produce they had to dry on the roof. And that's where they would process it. It was a safe place where animals couldn't reach it and eat it and other people couldn't steal it. It was a safe place. Well, up there she had flax from a, from a harvest of flax and she simply covered them with it to protect them and hide them. And she lied outright here to do this and this is all part of her faith in action and she's telling this lie to protect them so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan and as soon as the pursuers had gone out the gate was shut so he, she's taken these two men she's hid them uh, God was looking for an ally and someone to protect them but more importantly God was looking to connect her to someone for her life her faith uh, not only is going to save her and her family, but it's also going to give her a future. Because God does know the plans He has for us. Not to harm us, 
but to, to save us, to prosper us, to give us a future, hope. Jesus identified with people that others did not identify. Why is it that Jesus was criticized as a wine bibber? Because he was hanging out with people that drank. He was hanging out with the publicans and sinners. And the religious crowd criticized him for it. But I started thinking about this. Why would Jesus polarize to them? It's not that he wanted to be around bad people, but one thing I noticed that Jesus really liked was sincerity. He liked truth. And the pretensions of the Pharisees really irritated him. He called them whitewashed tombs. Because on the outside they were one thing, on the inside they were something different, full of dead men's bones. Beautiful tombs on the outside, he said. He said this because they were not real. But one thing about a prostitute is they know what they are. Uh, I, when I was 18 years old in New Orleans, I was uh, one of the first people in the church to really push. I wanted to do evangelism. I never forget because I went to the pastor to criticize the church to him because I had visited another church. I'd just gotten saved just like that year before. And I went to another church called Victory Victory Assembly, and I went over there to Victory, and and they had really these great on fire young people that were on the streets regularly. They were evangelizing and going on these outreaches and reaching out to the lost. And I, I thought that's awesome, cool. We don't have that at our church. What's wrong with our church? And I got very critical. I never forget. I went back and told my pastor. And looking back on it, the very time I went, knocked on his door. I went in, and his desk was covered with all kinds of correspondence and he's in the middle of preparing three messages. I mean, he's tasked to do his job to pastor and care and teach and visitations and all these things and funerals and weddings and I'm going in there to tell him that he needs to come up with an evangelistic program and I'm telling him too, like, you know, we, I went and I saw this at this other church and why don't we have that? And as I'm ranting about this, he leans back in his chair and he's just looking at me. He's listening to the whole thing and he says, what are you doing? That's all he said. And it's so funny because in that simple phrase, I knew exactly. I heard volumes. What he said was, why are you coming here to tell me that I should do this when I'm already doing everything I can within my power? Why don't you go and do it? And I did it. I mean, I said, I'm sorry. And I walked out his door. Immediately, I asked for permission from the leaders of the church. I said, would it be okay if I invited people to participate with me, that we go out and we actually have an outreach and go into the streets and preach and teach? And I had been with a few groups going to like Bourbon Street and some of the rougher areas teaching people and learned a lot of lessons through the years. One thing is that most drunk people are not really interested in the gospel. There's <laughs> very few of them. And they will talk to you, but they're more interested in just talking to anybody. And they're drunk. Same with drug addicts. But you can still love them. And I did a lot of that in, in that season that I was figuring out what would be the most effective ways to evangelize. And I started a group, and the church gave me permission. And they said, okay, we will let you officially do this. And then they, on a Sunday morning, they let me get up in front of the congregation, which was a couple, you know, a couple hundred people. I got up in front told them about my mission and what I was going to do. And brothers and sisters, we're going to go out in the streets. We're going to preach the gospel. You know, I had my little tie on, and I was, I was all, you know, Mr. Evangelist. And so we're going to meet here Saturday, 9 a.m. We're going to pray from 9 to 10. And at 10 o'clock, we're going to go out on the streets of the city. And, and 
I have these tracks, and I'm, I mean, I had this plan and strategy, and everybody was so excited. Hallelujah. Amen, brother. Praise God. And they all applauded my effort. And, what, and so I, I knew, man, we're going to have a huge evangelistic team that come in Saturday. And so the next week, Saturday, come around. I got there around 8 o'clock in the morning to make sure there was coffee and donuts and everything ready for all the evangelists that were coming. And at 9 o'clock came and nobody was there yet. So I figured, well, they'll be coming in as we pray. Because 9 and 10, we're going to pray and then we're going to go out. And, you know, 9.15, there's nobody at 9.20, there's nobody there. 9.30, I'm just, you know, shakamahaya, da 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 I'm praying in tongues, walking around, or drinking some coffee, you know, just waiting for them to come. Nobody shows. 9.45, there's nobody there. 10 o'clock, there's nobody there. So now I'm checking my watch against the clock in the church and see what's wrong. There's some problem. Nobody comes. I waited as long as I could till about 10.20. And I realized I'm by myself. My first thought was just forget it. Just forget, just shut it down and blame everybody because nobody's involved. And the Holy Spirit said, no, it was your idea, you do it. And I went. And this 18-year-old kid, very inexperienced, you know, just my little tie on. I went out on the street with my gospel tracks and I started talking to people. And I had several good conversations. A lot of Christians I ran into that applauded what I was doing. They were happy. That's good, brother. You keep up the good work. You know, carry the cross for Jesus. Hallelujah. A couple of them pretended to be Christians and were not. Just to get rid of me, like I used to do before I got saved, with Christians that tried to evangelize me. But I saw this woman at the back of a car, a laundromat. A laundromat, the place where you go to the laundry and pay for it. She had a basket. She had an old beat-up car. The back of the car was open. She was putting her laundry in. And I stopped there and I looked at her. And I said, hi, how are you? And she said, I'm fine. And I said, Jesus loves you. And she said, really? I said, yeah. She said, I'm a prostitute. I mean, she just said it right, right out. Not trying to hide anything. So sincere. like nothing. Everybody else was giving me pretentious reasons why they don't need Christ. Every other person I talked to in the street was trying to get rid of me. And all she wanted to know is if Jesus loves me, then he knows what I am. And I am this. And she told me, right, I'm a prostitute. And she somehow thought that meant that kind of transparency would make me walk away. And I said, well, they're great. And uh, not that I need your services, but Jesus loves you. Jesus said, Jesus loves. There's a, there's a prostitute in the Bible, Rahab. Is, I, and I actually knew this about Rahab. And I told her. She said, really? She said, well, you're kind of cute. Go on. And I started talking, and I told her all about Jesus, and, and I prayed with her. She agreed to receive Jesus, and tears came in her eyes, and she prayed to receive the Lord. I was so excited. I said, can you come to church tomorrow? She said, absolutely. And that next morning, there I get up in front of the church, and um, I talk about my day before, and, you know, basically browbeating everybody for not joining me. And, and, you know, I, but I did go, and I have somebody I want you to meet. And it was awesome because this prostitute got up and stood in front of the church and shared that this young guy, and she was laughing at me because she thought I was just cute, you know, like just a little kid I did a tie on. And she said, he, he, he touched me. And I thought, I didn't touch her. <laughs> God touched her. <laughs> and he touched me with his story and his testimony. And, and I believe, and, and she, in front of everyone, she confessed Christ. And then the church came unglued. They were like, awesome. And you know what? That next time I went out, I had about 15 people join. Because now they saw, oh, we can actually 
make a difference out there. But we can make a difference to people who are open and honest. And one thing about prostitutes, they're not hiding anything. They are what they are. That, I think, is why Jesus hung out with publicans and sinners. Because he got so tired of people trying to falsely justify themselves because of their, their, their self-righteousness that he could identify with the clarity of heart and sincerity of someone. That's what he said in the parable. The one that stood in the back and beat his chest and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that attracts Jesus when we are like this. I mean, look how much Rahab is teaching us. A prostitute is teaching us how faith works and what we need to believe and, and how your transparency and your openness and your honesty, get rid of your pretension. That kind of honesty is what draws God. The proud he sees from afar off, uh, but the humble he comes to. What is humility? Humility is openness and transparency. Humility is accepting who you are and what you are. So we can learn this from her. Number five, we make a faith covenant. And all of us come into a covenant with Christ. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you. Now, I want you to pay attention to what she's saying. I know she says. I know. She's convinced. And she believes that the Lord has given this land to you. And the Lord there, all capital L-O-R-D, that's Jehovah. That Jehovah God has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. And we have heard how the Lord, Jehovah God, dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sion and Og. Now, the Red Sea episode's 40 years prior, but this Sion and Og, this is just a couple of weeks ago. And so this is fresh in the papers. They're reading about the annihilation of these towns. These Israelites are like a steamroller. They're coming. So she's putting two and two together. The two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is... God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, before I go into that, I want you to see very clearly her confession of faith here. Very clear. This is salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Believe in your heart, confess with your mind. She's confessing Jehovah God. Who He is, what He is, and His supremacy, not just below, but also above. In heaven above and on earth beneath. I think her confession and acknowledgement of Jehovah God to these spies is prob that probably have never heard anyone talk like this. And that's why God sent, because He knew that she was ripe and ready and that she already was believing in her heart. But she has no way out. She can't just walk out of the city. She needs to be rescued. And that is exactly the analogy that I'm seeing. There's people in cultures all over, they can't get out. Somebody needs to make it into them. Uh, they're hungry, they're ready. I call these like ripe fruit, like a fig on a fig tree. My grandmother had a big fig tree in the backyard of her house, and I love the ripe figs. And the way I could, because you couldn't always tell by looking at them, but you could tell by tapping them, because the ripe ones would fall off in your hand just by tapping them. They were so ready, and they were, they were also all over the ground, and they stank. You don't eat those, because they fall and rot. But I used to eat the figs. I would eat so many figs, I would have diarrhea for days. <laughs> Because I loved figs, and my grandmother had this huge tree. I would also climb high up in the tree and touch the bottom of the figs. And people, there are people like that out there that are ready. That's what Smith Wigglesworth said. He would wait for the one, and he could tell that was the right one, and he'd be 
led by the Spirit, and go talk to that individual. And you find these people that are, they're just, they're ready to hear. Uh, like our neighbor Edwin, that, that you led to the Lord, because that's a cook next to us, and she, he, was, he was ready. He was just, nobody ever really talked to him. And then and God did a miracle for him. and healed his leg and his throat and his, and, you know, he did things that he knew that was only God can do. Living inside of a Jericho, in his world. He's never come to church. I doubt he will ever come to church. He's a chef. He's constantly had work, but I have regular conversations with him about Jesus and about what God does for him. And he's being in his own little world, being changed because he had faith to believe. And we thank God for his soul. We pray for him all the time. But here we see this woman saying exactly what it takes to get saved. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the man assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, um, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. I know that the Lord has given this land to you. So she confesses again, I know it's done, I just want to make a deal with this. She makes a covenant. And she said, because I have been kind to you, and Jehovah's watching this, so you now you be kind to me. Make a promise to me. Because you know I could, and remember, she's, she's on the roof talking to them. I just picture her walking over the edge, because you know I can call those guys back if you want. And she's shrewd. She's a businesswoman. I kind of picture her saying, you know, it's not a problem. If you would rather deal with them, uh, excuse me, no, shh, shh, shh. no, it's okay. It's okay, all right? We will do exactly what you say. But don't tell anyone about us. Don't tell people what we're doing. So she shrewdly works out this deal, which, by the way, is an attribute that God likes in people. We see that. Jesus mentioned it about the shrewd man that did the business dealings that was about to lose his job. And before he did, so that he would have people out there he could connect to and have some allegiance with, he discounted the debt that they had to the master. In other words, he embezzled, he falsified records. That's pretty bad. That's, that, there is some evil about that, but it's interesting that God sees that kind of shrewdness. And he knows that sometimes people have to look at Jacob. Jacob was exactly that. He manipulated situations at times. But God used him to do that. I'm not saying God wants to do that forever, but I don't have a problem with Rahab doing that because it's her faith that's speaking. It's her faith that's acting. She said, the Lord, your God, is God in heaven, above and on earth below. So remember, faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things unseen. In other words, Rahab, without having seen anything at all of the actual evidence of what these people are and could do or what Jehovah God could do, she so believed it that she staked her life on it. And she took everything. And she took risks. And really, that's number six. We take risks to prove our faith. So she let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not go binding, uh, not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, 
If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you said. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So she let them down on the roof through the window and this prostitute ran the risk of being discovered. They could have seen her doing this at any time. Uh, there was a chance while she's doing this that somebody could have seen it. They, obviously they were astute enough to notice that these two spies were there at the beginning on the very day they arrived. And they immediately knew that they were spies from Israel. So she's taking a risk, but it's a risk that's worth taking to her. And this is exactly, it's interesting right now, the, one of the greatest growth of persecution against Christianity is taking place in Iran. Uh, it's increasing more and more. They're pushing for legislation to be able to outlaw Christianity entirely. They would like to obliterate Christianity, and their goal is to do within the next so many years, absolutely erase Christianity from the nation. That's, their, that's what they want to do. And persecution is rising quickly. We need to pray for the believers in Iran that God would protect them, because there are quite a few of them there. But it's getting worse and worse and worse. And still, even though that is true, more than ever, Iranians are also receiving Jesus. It's funny that you would see this happening, but yet know that your faith is so powerful and so, so strong that you're willing to take that risk and God sees it. You know, God sees these people. People who take this kind of risk are held in a higher esteem by God Himself. Yeah. I know this is true because look who's under the under the altar of God in heaven. The ones that are beheaded because of their faith. They are special. Martyrs are seen as special individuals because they take this kind of risk. This woman is taking this risk. In essence, she's, she's earning her way into a place and a heritage to be in the lineage of Christ. Of course, it's by faith, but after faith, as we just saw a moment ago, faith without works is dead. We can believe, but we have to do something. We have to take risks. We have to pay prices. He, we have to take up the cross and carry it and follow Him. And if it means we suffer, we suffer. In fact, there's no comfortable cross out there. Take up a cross, it's going to hurt. And anything that we do for Him, there's going to be a price to pay. But it's going to be worth it in the long run. Finally, and this is it, number seven, our faith affects everyone. So the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Now this is verse 17, and I jump all the way down to verse 22 to surmise what happens. Joshua said to the two men, who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, and brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and they put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. So Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, her entire family, not just Rahab, I think of the scripture that says in 1 Timothy to be careful of your doctrine or what you believe because if you're careful with it, it will save you and those around you. That the thing that we believe, our declaration of faith, our proclamation of truth, 
is what will save everyone around us. We like to claim the promise that was told to the jail keeper, you and your whole household. So we believe for our families to be saved. Uh, but, but that's not a promise to us directly. We can claim it and make it a petition. And I would hope it comes true for everyone. But the fact is that in this case, Rahab's entire family is spared because of this. And I often think, you know, I would, I would imagine that their, her father and mother, previous to this, were not happy about the fact that she was a prostitute. I don't think anybody grows up and the mother and father hopes that their little girl will become a prostitute one day. I mean, it might happen, but mostly no. And I, so I can't help but thinking that they were ashamed of their daughter, but this day, there's no shame. This day, whatever she has done, it will be looked over. And because their lives are saved by what she did. And it's a beautiful story of redemption, how God can take a prostitute and because of her faith, reach out to her, save her. And because of the faith of this crush, not just her, but her whole family was saved. And if there had ever been any shame felt by them, this is the day that it went away and that they were happy about the actions of their little girl because the Lord used her and brought her into the lineage of Christ. So these are seven things that we saw. Number one, all have a sinful past. And we can say that from now on. Yeah, actually, in our lineage, we have a prostitute. Number two, uh, but by the way, my family, my actual family, I have, I can tell you stories about grandfather, grandmother, great-grandfather, great-grandfather. I've heard some things that I don't even want to repeat. And I'm sure you have stories in your family. You, you may find they, they do well to cover it, but there's always going to be problems, always issues. All have a sinful past but God uses us and wants to use us and bring us out of our past. Faith is our way out of sin, because we believe. Faith without action is dead. We know that to be true. In context, specifically, even the prostitute Rahab. So it works for everyone. We know that we can get our way out of any. If you find yourself in a hole, if you find yourself in a dilemma or a problem, faith is strong enough to rescue you. Number four, God is looking for faith people. People who are waiting and believing inside the walls of Jericho. Many nations and countries, they will not know. They're waiting and believing, but they need the spies to go in and find them and be connected to them. Uh, we make a covenant of faith. Number five, number six, we take risks to prove our faith. And finally, number seven, our faith affects everyone, everybody around us. Uh, if we're an open witness, if we tell people about Jesus, if we don't hide what we believe under a bushel basket or under the bed, we put it on a lampstand. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.